What's up, folks? Thank you for tuning in to the Progression Project podcast. I am your host, Eric Antonson. Uh, today's guest on the show, it's another foiling series episode, is Adrian Roper of Axis Foils. He is one of the founders and owners of Axis Foils, and our conversation today is a highly technical conversation about the design process um, and manufacturing process for the Axis Foils. Um, I learned a good bit from Adrian. It's really fun to hear the, you know, first off, how long they've been making foils and been in the board building, kiting arena. So their experience is probably as uh, as deep as anyone in our game. And then also the process of how they've come about with their line of wings and what they're optimizing for. All super uh, cool stuff. So, all right, short intro today. I got... Sorry for the uh, for the delay in podcast. I've been really busy for the last little bit. I'll be on it again here shortly. I've got a couple interviews coming up, and I'll try to get those out quicker for you all. Um, so we'll do that. Thanks for all the feedback, all the support. You guys be safe. Have fun out there. And um, yeah, thanks for tuning in. Appreciate it. Adrian, thank you for coming on the podcast. How are you this morning? Very good. Thanks for having me here. Yeah. Um, for folks who don't know who you are, you are the head of Axis Foils. And why don't you start by giving a, a quick background on your, you know, your kind of timeline through the kiting and surfing worlds and then heavily on how you got into foiling, I guess, and kiting and then the progression there. And then if I've got questions, I'll, I'll interrupt and, and ask you. Okay, I'll try and keep it reasonably brief on that though. So I'm about 50, okay, Axis itself is a partnership between um, Evan and myself. Evan is based in the US, I'm sort of based in New Zealand, um, but I spend a lot of time in the factories in China um, making things happen. A lot of the stuff that we build, you can't just go to a factory and say, build this. You need to go and show them and work them with them to actually create what you want. It's not off the shelf factories that are sitting there waiting to build stuff for you so you have to go and educate them on exactly how you want it built so i'm about 55 or something and when i was um about 14 or 15 i built my first uh windsurfer and i, I learned to windsurf and i wanted a windsurfer and my parents wouldn't buy one for me so but they helped me build one and you know i built the board i built the mast i built the sail i built every single part of it and really enjoyed the process and I've sort of been building stuff ever since then. Um, I got more and more into windsurfing and I uh, built windsurfers for a company in New Zealand. And then when I was 19, I moved to Hawaii and I worked for Hawaiian uh, Windsurf Hawaii on Oahu and everyone kept coming back from Maui and raving about the conditions. So I did a bit of a ring round and I managed to get some guy called Jimmy Lewis on the phone and asked him if he had any jobs going. And he said, um, what do you do? And I said, I'm a, a laminator. And he said, oh, a laminator left yesterday. Come on, come on over. So he picked me up at the airport and I worked for him. And at that stage, it was Sailboards Maui, which was owned by Mike Walsh. And speed sailing was big. And we built all the boards for Fred Haywood and Eric Beale. And I got very into speed sailing. Um, during that time, I competed in speed sailing and had the New Zealand speed record. And I, d I did a lot of speed sailing and, and tuning stuff with that. Um, I went back and forward to New Zealand for summer and then Maui for summer and, and did that for eight years. 
Um, I worked for various people on Maui, but I ended up getting a job for um, Peter Tommen, who built all the boards for F2, and we built all of Bjorn Dunkerbeck and most of the World Cup team race boards. And that was a great time because anything in the way of ideas, we came up in the way of construction, I would just mention it, and the materials would just magically appear within a couple of days, and we could try it out and work out what we needed to work out with. And if it didn't work, it would go in the dumpster. And if it did, you know, it would be a great idea to carry forward. So we learned a lot very quickly um, in engineering terms for, for building boards. Um, after that, I guess I moved back to New Zealand and I had a windsurf shop and um, also was building windsurfers under, under my own name, Underground. Um, and then kite surfing sort of started and we'd seen it evolve on um on maui and sort of laughed at it you know in the first attempts and then as it slowly became a sport kind of went wow that's cool and then jumped on that and we were one of the first companies to build uh production kite surf boards and we built them for a few companies around the world uh, we we built the boards for peter tommen in Holland, we actually built some Alex Aguera production boards. We did some Rush Randall foil boards. Um, did all sorts of boards from New Zealand, and then the, it really took off. And we sort of were one of the first to use what well, we were the first to use colonial wood cores, and um, you know the pressed construction of twin tip board that is absolutely standard production now. Um, we kind of evolved a lot of that process. Um, after that. We had a fire in the factory and it, and it burnt down to the ground and we had to sort of rebuild and the exchange rate in New Zealand was changing to the point where it wasn't economic to manufacture in New Zealand anymore. Uh, so um, we moved, we, I sold the whole business to China and learned a lot about China in the next five years or so um, while I was working for the new company, that, which you know wasn't, wasn't my company anymore. Um, and after that, sort of finished, um, Evan came to me and sort of said, look, what you had with Underground was too good to walk away from, let's start Axis. So we, we created Axis and we were originally just building kite boards uh, and kite surfboards and um, Evan got right into foiling because he's from San Francisco and um, we built foil boards for kiting for quite a few companies and then we slowly built, you know, brought out our first um, foil for kiting and that was quite a good success like when i learned to kite foil i um, broke a bone in my foot and i broke a rib because i was using a race foil uh and on a long mast and it was you know dangerous and difficult and you know that sort of breakage is when you were learning to kite foil seemed to be a normal thing back in the day um and i had an idea that it should be a bit more fun than that and it shouldn't involve so much damage so we designed a kite foil that was a lot easier to ride and didn't take so long to learn how to, how to ride it. At about the same time as that was happening, I guess, um, the whole um, surf foiling, sup foiling scene was just starting and I'd, I'd surfed all my life and I'd done quite a bit of sup foiling as well, uh, sup surfing, and I thought it would be a good idea to, to you know, play around and see if we could get a foil going for that. So we started building some bigger wings, about the right size, and we were putting them on our existing aluminium mast that we had. 
And the mask that we had, it's an, it's an OEM mask that quite a few manufacturers use. Uh, it's 15 millimeters wide and it has three 6 mil screws in the top of it. Um, you can probably guess what mask it is. There's quite a few companies use that mask. And we used that as our, our mask for kite. And for kite, it was, it was okay, um, but it was a bit wobbly at 900. At 750, it was kind of okay. For uh, sup foiling, we kind of felt like it wasn't even um, suitable. It was just way too wobbly. Even just standing on the board, the board was so wobbly because you're just so disconnected to your wing. So uh, instead of launching into sup foil production, we basically went back to the drawing board and started trying to create a mask and a fuselage and everything that was solid and strong. We like I said before, we kind of felt the mask for kiting was okay at 750, but at, at, at 900 it was getting too wobbly. So to get the same feel at 900, we calculated that the mask had to be 224% stiffer than the existing one. Uh, so that was our target, and we managed to achieve that with our 19mm aluminium mask with only an 8% weight gain. So it's not too much heavier, but it's really, really solid, a ridiculously solid mask. Um, we also created a uh, spigot that goes up inside of the mask uh, uh, to join to the fuselage. So that creates the, the strong join there, even without the screws. It has two, two M8 stainless bolts, but even without those, it's a very, very strong join. Um, I guess with foiling, it's an obvious thing to point out that you are riding the front wing. That, that's what you're, you're riding on and your rear wing is your stabilizer. So in my opinion, one of the most important things is that you're well and truly attached to that front wing. And to do that, you need to have a really good join between the fuselage and the front wing. And we have a um, 62 mil wide plate there that rebates into the wing and it has four uh, M8 bolts. So it's, it's a very, very solid joint. The wider that, that plate on the front is, the stiffer the joint is. So if the plate was, you know, 150 mils wide into the wing, it would be even even more solid again. But obviously it becomes harder and harder to fit to the wings each time. So it's a reasonably good compromise where we're at at the moment with a 62 mil wide block and be able to fit lots of different wings onto it and still provide a solid joint. Then we've got the solid joint into the mask that I mentioned and then the solid mask at 16, 19 mil and then the, the base plate on the top of it. So, you know, we've got an architecture there that's really solid and reliable, and, um, you know, we can carry on designing wings to, to fit onto that as, as time evolves. Um, our system, I've kind of rolled straight into our foil. I hope that's okay. Yeah, that's fine. Than, yep. Um, we we have like the standard uh, surf or sup foiling. We have three different fuselage lengths. We've got one we call a standard, um, and then one that's a uh, a short, and then there's one that's an ultra short. We've done a, a limited production run of an even crazy shorter one than that, but it it really is pretty um, wobbly. Um, the odd pro rider likes it for certain waves, but it really is getting a bit too short. So there's three production length fuselages. Uh, standard, short, and uh, ultra short. The the length of your fuselage, like the size of your rear wing, the the, the longer the fuselage, the bigger the rear wing. The more st stable the whole uh, foil is, but the 
as you learn to foil, you can ride with a whole lot less rear wing or a whole lot less stability. You don't need quite so much stability. So uh, in some ways you want as little fuselage and as little rear wing as you can get away with. And that varies from person to person depending on their riding style and what they feel like. And, you know, I think that is part of the beauty of our system too, is it's all sold in separates. So you just buy the pieces that you want and, and put it together how you want. For example, I use the um, ultra short fuselage for for my kite foiling right through to um, sup foiling with the, the new 101 wing. And I use a 370 rear wing and I use that for everything. Um, and just change the front wing over. Um, the the 660 is my, my favorite wing for uh, tow foiling or kite foiling. And I still use that with a 370 and I think that feels pretty good. Um, the the guys at the Lost Foil Lost yep. Lost this Foil Club, they're they're using that 660 wing a lot, and they they like it with the ultra short fuselage, but they all swear by the 440 rear wing. Yeah, it feels way too big for me, but they love it like that. So, you know, it's there isn't I think with foiling an absolute setup that everybody should use. You need to sort of find what works for you and the conditions you've got and what you are trying to do with it. Yep. Since, since you started touching there on fuse length and tail size, do you mind if we kind of take a departure from the story right now and dive into that? Because that's something that I've been exploring fairly deeply on the show lately. Uh, Kane has talked to it at length and um, Adam Bennett's as well. But the relationship between fuse length, tail wing, forward pitching moment, and velocity, uh, and then turning radius and ability to pump it, it, there's a lot of factors happening right there um, and little changes to your tail wing either by shimming or by chopping can can really change your turning radius but then it can affect your pump as well how do you see all of that playing out and can you talk through kind of your understanding of tail size relative to velocity relative to pump and, and maybe include um, fuse in there as well because fuse is something I haven't played around with a lot but I know it, it kind of contributes I still don't think there's a concrete definitive answer. Okay. This is this is what works. It kind of is what everybody, you know, we've we've got various team riders that do downwind and you know most of them use something slightly different for for each, for each, you know, discipline and how they how they want to ride. Um, my understanding of it is like our standard length fuselage, the longer one, I'd kind of really only recommend that to, you know, bigger guys that need all the stability they can get when they're learning to sup foil. The short is, is good for most people, and the ultra short, I think, is, is, is you know, uh, what most people aim for, and that, that feels a really, really good balance. It's still um, really loose for, for quick carving. Um, as far as re relating all of that to pumping, um, all of those fuselage pump, but the, the length of the fuselage changes the, um, the, the pump cadence, and when you change from one fuselage length to the next, you know, even if you're pumping really well on one setup, you just change to a shorter fuselage, it, it'll feel kind of weird for a while. Right. But the more you foil, the more quickly you can kind of adapt to a new setup and, and you know, a couple of waves or whatever, and you, you, you're good to go anyway. What I've uh, heard from some of the downwind guys is that the longer fuses are better for that longer, faster cadence. It's a slower cadence, but you're going faster when you have a longer fuselage in the pump there. And are you seeing that too? Are your downwind guys opting for longer fuselages? 
slightly longer, and but I think that almost relates to what you're doing when you're downwinding. I mean, you're riding, you're riding waves, and some waves will, you know, they'll peak up, and you'll actually be going quite fast, and you'll be on the on the ragged edge of disaster. And having a bit longer fuselage will just give you that much more stability to survive some of the craziness that happens. And you know, um, you're not you're not so much trying to wave ride hard out. You're just trying to hold it together as fast as you can downwind. Mm-hmm. So a longer fuselage, I think, might be more useful for that, just to provide a little bit more stability. What about the relationship between fuselage length and tail size as it regards to kind of the the, the length of the lever pushing up from that forward pitching moment? Are you seeing most guys go smaller with longer fuses on tail wings and then kind of going longer on or, or you know, wider um, wingspan on shorter fuses, or is that a correlation you're not seeing? Not so much. It's everyone's got their own thing they swear by. You know, mm-hmm. um, we all we've just done a new wing. It's a, a 390, uh, and it, and it's it's very like the 370, but instead of going flat, we'll turn up. It sort of arcs across and turns downward, and. The idea of that style of wing is there's a lot of pressure on the market to, to build that sort of wing. We've been very happy with our standard wings, with the standard little winglets that turn up at the end. But, you know, some people have got it in their heads that it's much better to have the um, the downturn wing because it's less likely to breach. And I, I built some prototypes of that, quite a few different ones, and we tried those. And when I was, again, working with the Lost Boys World Club guys, they, they rode, um, they had the identical setup. They had... Uh, two 750 or 760 carbon masts, ultra short fuselage, 660 front wing, and one of the setups had a 370 uh, standard rear wing with upturn, and one had the new 390 with a downturn on it. And they rode that for three days, back to back to back. And at the end of that, I sort of said, "So, you know, which one would you prefer? Which you know, what do you, which one do you like the best?" And they sort of said, "Oh, they're both good." And I said, "Well, you know, if you had to pick one, which would you pick?" "Oh no, they're both good." And I mean, those guys are full on high end and they were perfectly happy with either one. So, you know, it's not as dramatic or obvious a decision for, for, for a lot of things. So we now have that wing in production and, you know, some people swear by it. Some people are happy with the, the existing one. We also have another rear wing, which is a dead flat, um, super high aspect one. And it's only six millimeters thick at the thickest point. I think the cord is 60 mil. And it's a 460 span. It's a little knife of a thing. Um, it's it's great for downwind and being solid carbon. There's no core to it. Uh, you can cut it down. And um, Marcus Tardridge cut one down to I think 360 or something like that. And that's his favourite setup. But he's a very small guy, and you know what what he needs for downwind is very different to someone that's bigger. You know, you, you right. kind of. Got to get it right for you. You mentioned a little bit there about the angles and shimming, so yeah. it'd be a good chance to, to cover some of that and our understanding of that. So when we started um, building kite foils, um, a lot of the companies were doing the uh, the front wing at the same angle as the fuselage, so zero, zero angle of attack. Mm-hmm. Now, if you look at um, on X foil. And you look at any of the, you know, in, any wing you can put it on, you can look at the graphs of it and, uh, okay, the more angle of attack you have on the front wing, the more lift it's going to create. This, even if you have no foil, if it's just a flat sheet of plywood, 
Um, the more angle of attack is going to create more lift. Less angle of attack is going to create less lift, but less drag. So there's a sweet spot with most foils where it, it creates a good amount of lift with not too much drag. And it's around about two degrees. You know, it depends on the foil section and whatever, but it's about two degrees. So we set the front wing at two degrees to the front fuselage with the idea being that you don't have to do any mathematical calculations when you're foiling because your feet and your body, you know, it's very sensitive. You can feel exactly whether it's, whether it's working or not, whether, whether the angle of attack is about right. So the aim of that was that the fuselage is moving, moving straight through the water like an arrow rather than dragging, you know, at two or three degrees through the water. And then, so the front wing is, is creating lift. The rear wing is actually upside down and it's creating downward pressure. And we set that at two and a half degrees to the fuselage. So you've got four and a half degrees between front wing and back wing. And that seems to provide um, a good amount of stability. Um, we have little shims that you can, they're a uh, digitally printed plastic shim and we can email those to people and they can print them themselves. We are trying to get them to production as well. But we're, we kind of have been a little bit uh, trying not to hand those out to everybody because people tend to get lost with them by sticking them in there at the wrong time and, you know, ruining the, the feel of the foil. Most, most of the setups work straight out of the box, just bolt the front wing on, bolt the back wing on, you're good to go. The shims that we use, we put them under the back wing and we have one called plus one and that's adding one more degree of angle of attack to the rear wing. So it's shimming under the back edge of the wing and it adds one degree. So it goes from four and a half to five and a half degrees. And that is and mounted one, though on the top of the fuselage. So it's... it's It fits between the, uh, yeah. the top of the fuselage right. and the rear wing. Your rear wings mount on the top of the fuselage. Some mount on the bottom of the fuselage. And that's going to be a question I ask you here in the, in, about why you chose top versus bottom for that mounting. But the shim is on the back of the top, which is creating that downward pressure pushing up on the front wing for anyone trying to visualize that. Yeah, yep. To try and, again, taking a step backwards from that, why is that rear wing pointed down, you know, like on an airplane, it's not like that. Um, and we asked that question a lot when we were first designing, because we had no idea. And, you know, what, what we're trying to work at the basis of that. But from what we can understand, um, is it's a little bit different to an, an airplane, and, and as much as that an airplane has all the passengers and the motors basically all in the line of the fuselage, pretty much. Whereas this, you're standing on a mast, which as a percentage of your airplane length is, you know, a heck of a lot further higher than it. So there's a tipping moment and having that wing pointed down uh, gives you a, a, the ability to balance on that front wing. So it, it aids you to balance. I mean, there's guys out there that are riding without any stabilizer and it can be done, but it's just radically sensitive. So you need what you need to, to provide that stability. So my understanding was that the rear wing countered the forward pitching moment of the lift of the foil. But are you saying that you think it's different than that? You, you, can, you can actually ride without a, a stabilizer. Yeah. It's not easy, but you can do it. But that's because you, you can know. keep your, your weight back to, to counter that, correct? No, you just pretty much have to be right on the front wing. You, I mean, you just have to be totally balanced. You've got no... Um, no ability for or aft to try and balance on it, you know, without a without a stabilizer. Gotcha. 
it, the stabilizer, the name stabilizer, it is to provide the stability that you need. And you kind of only need as much as you need. And everybody likes a slightly different feel. You know, a lot of surfers seem to like a little more feel, so they like a little bit bigger wing with a little bit more, you know, a little, giving a bit more pressure there. But, you know, it's up to you to work out what works for you. For, for most people, our stock out-of-the-box setup works pretty good. Yeah. Oh, well, and I, I have a buddy who rides your gear, and he's killing it on it. He loves it, and I get to see it every day. Uh, he just got the 900. He's up foils. He got the 900. He's got the 1010 and the 1000, I believe. Um, and he's loving that, that new nine, 900. That 900 is a classic wing. He's loving it. Yeah. Yeah. Going really fast. Um, I'll have a ramble about that 900 wing, but just before I do that, I'll just finish the shimming on the rear wing. Yeah. Um, we have we have plus one shim, which adds one degree of angle of attack. And what that does, it with, with any given foil, if you put that shim in there, it it adds front foot pressure. Um, and by adding that front foot pressure, it also makes it slightly draggier, slightly slower. Um, but it definitely gives more more feedback. So, for example, you could use a smaller wing with a higher angle of attack to give the same feel or same amount of stability as a larger wing on a lower angle of attack. There's many ways of getting the same sort of result or the same sort of stability that you're after. Yeah. So um, the minus one shim is is the reverse. It goes under the front edge of the rear wing and it lifts it up one degree. So it becomes three and a half degrees between the front wing and the back wing. And when are folks and, using that? Well, it reduces the drag. Part of this is that we're using the wings for a whole lot of different dif disciplines here. And for um, when, okay, the um, we'll go to the 900. The 900 was designed as a windsurfing wing. That's what it was designed for. And um, we had a real job fitting that at the angles that we wanted onto the existing fuselage. So we had to do a bit of a twist in the middle of the wing to make it fit on the fuselage. And um, it worked great for windsurfing, and we, we sent one to Marcus Tardrew uh, in Western Australia to have a go and see if he could downwind on it. And when he first got it, he looked at it, and he, he almost said, look, I'm going to cut it and, and make it wider and re-glass it because he didn't think it was going to be big enough. And I said, look, before you start cutting it, just have a go. So he jumped on it and did a downwinder, and after his first day or a couple of days of riding, he said, look, it's crazy. It's about three kilometres an hour faster, and you know he's, he was arriving down the coast way, way, way quicker than he'd, he'd ever done and, you know, leaving his mates for dead with it. It was very, very fast. And he mentioned that it actually felt pretty good to turn. So I was actually on a road trip with another guy and um, we immediately bolted on a sup and had a go at, at sup boiling with it and sure enough, it, it was really good for that too. It was really nice for turning. It's kind of a slightly unnerving wing depending on your level of riding for sup. Like I wouldn't want to suggest that as a beginner wing to anybody because because it's so high aspect, it needs to be going faster to fly. And if you're paddling into a wave and you're trying to go slowly onto the face of the wave and get it together, it's really not going to work. You've, you've got to commit and be running fast with it. But if you're doing that, it's a beautiful, stable wing, but you need to be running faster with it. And, you know, if, you, if you're trying to go slow, it's kind of steps up and down and up and down and it's not comfortable. So we used it for, for that and in the prone surf guys got on it and they loved it because it doesn't surf as good as you know a smaller surf wing but uh, it surfs pretty good and you can connect 
pump really well and connect another wave, another wave, another wave, and you know, get multiple waves out of it easily. Um, so that was the 900. Um, Can we talk about the 660 and that series of wings that's coming out right now? And yep. more specifically, um, about dihedral and how, you know, it seems like the best surf wings, everyone, the wings that people are gravitating in, in the most radical surf foiling are dihedral wings. And maybe you could talk to why that is. Yeah, well, that's a really good point, actually, because we had we had our, our main sort of surf wings, I guess, were our 750 and our 680. And um, they were just our, our classic wings. Like, we, we started out, our very first wing was our 920. And... Um, then we built the 1020, the bigger version, then we built the 820. All of those foils um, are what we call a RAF 48 foil section. That foil section is a 15% foil section, and um, we chose that one because it's, it works through a wide range, range of angles, and it's very smooth and stable and easy to use. And it has proven to be that, a very good stable section. Um, and the smaller ones, the 750 and the 680, have got a little bit more turn down on the wing tip. And they were slightly more surf oriented. The, the 920 and the 1020 had a bit more, you know, a bit better glide. Obviously, bigger wings as well, but that's kind of stepping back on how they were done. Um, a little side step on, on percentage thickness of the foils there. So um, the 680 is a good one to. Uh, describe that on is because the maximum cord on that's 200 mil. So uh, the 680 wing with a, a 200 mil cord at a 15% foil, that means that it is 30 millimeters thick. Mm-hmm. Um, now, as far as thick foils versus thin foils, um, when we were building the original kite surfing foils, um, we had a, we we're again using the RAF 48 foil section and we did it firstly at 10%, and then and that's what our production one was. And then after that, we did some prototyping, and we did the exact same wing, same outline, same curvature, um, but we made it 13%, and we made one 15% and 16%. And as we got thicker, the wings didn't necessarily become slower. So a lot of people seem to think that a thicker wing is going to go slower, but you've How got to you- remember... How are you testing that? Sorry to interrupt, but how, how are you testing the speed? Is that through CFD? Is that through kiting? Just GPS, just GPS you know, tracking on it, just roaring around on a, on a kite foil and then and using one, using the other, and seeing the, the, okay. so kiting. the, the difference in speed. Yeah. And this, this is quite a while ago we did all this testing, but we were okay. quite surprised that there was very little difference in the, in the thicker. It wasn't necessarily slower, but it just the, the thicker sections just became more stable and easy to ride. And I think that relates again to, you know, foiling. What you're doing is creating lift, and you can create lift through angle of attack, or you can create lift through a foil section. And you know, by picking a foil section that creates lift uh, naturally, rather than a sheet of plywood which relies on angle of attack to to, to create the lift. So you're saying um, that through a thicker foil section, it's possible to get overall less drag because you need less angle of attack. Um, which the is induced drag. Yeah. Yep. The, the whole thing sense. is a balance. And there's a, a bunch of things you're wiggling around with. There's different angles. Of it. So what I'm saying with that basically is people automatically think a thicker foil section is going to create more lift and have um, 
less drag, uh, have more drag, but that's not necessarily so. Jumping back to the, the 660 and the new 101, <clears throat> that foil section is a new foil section that we've just started playing with, and it's thinner, um, it's just over 11%, um, and it actually has a slight reflex in the bottom of it, uh, and so it's a thinner, but higher lift foil section. So when, the 660, for example, when you say actually has, when you say reflex yep. in the bottom, do you mean like kind of like a, uh, a reverse camber? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If you put a ruler on the bottom, it's got a hollow yeah. through the through the yeah. Okay. Yep. So that that foil at just over 11 percent, the same the 660, it's virtually the same area and size as the 680. Um, but it has almost the same bottom end as the 750, but it has a much higher top end than the 680 as well. So are they the, the range on it is massive. Are they the same shape, or is the 660 dihedral and the other ones are, are kind of like that more flatter, rounder shape? They are, they are, they are more dihedral. Okay. Um, how, how that dihedral thing came about is um, I was – I, I do um, a bit of time in Indonesia in the winter, and I was um, talking with Sky Rama, and he was trying a bunch of our wings, and he was raving on about the um, the dihedral in some of the other brands' wings, and how how everything he had surfed that had dihedral had a much better feel for it, and he he seemed to think it was like the V in a surfboard and whatever, and I, I kind of like to understand an idea before I just build something, so. You know, we started drawing some stuff up on a computer, and the buddy I worked with doing some of the um, drawing on the computer, he sort of said, "Look, you know, as we added V to it, he said, what I'm worried about, he said, is that as you, as you, um, you know, you're going to lose your lift when you're turning. So that, that to me was a light bulb moment, and that's that's understanding for me how how that dihedral or that V in there works. So. Um, what we did to, to do our testing for that is I took a, a, a 680 wing and I made some cups on the top of the wing and filled them with glue and bent it up and then glassed over it to hold it together and tested that and it, it was definitely uh, nicer turning rail to rail. This is just the stock standard 680 wing. So it had the same foil section. We hadn't changed anything else at that stage and it was definitely looser rail to rail and it felt nicer turning. What happens when you're foiling is when you when you um, when you're foiling the foil creates lift. When you're turning, you get a g-force. Often you're on a wave face as well, and you've got water moving up the face, so you end up with two or three forces coming at you. And you know when you're turning fast, it's kind of hard to hold it all together because you're creating so much lift. That dihedral, what it does, in my opinion, is that as you tip it over and set your bottom wing, your your wingtip that's away from you is on a on a very upright angle so it's not creating well, it's creating less lift than it would if it was a normal arc shaped wing and and it's almost creating uh, a turning force that actually contributes to the the curve of the turn it's very easy to illustrate that if you hold two wings next to each other if you hold a 680 and a 660 and you have the the, the bottom set wing tip on the same angle you'll see if the 660 is on the top, the, the, the other wing is, is quite close to vertical compared to, say, a 45-degree angle. So a little bit of dihedral makes a very big difference when you're turning. You're basically losing power when you're turning, but you also normally get so much of an increase in power that you can hardly hold it together. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. 
Um, I'd like to try and understand something before I just copy it and, and, and do it. You know, if you can understand why it does something, then it makes it so much more logical to try the next step on and on from there. Yeah. So in, in my experience writing that ahedral, um, the dihedral wings, I can use a pretty, uh, well, the flat, smaller stabilizer um, versus, you know, more high aspect wings when I want more stability out of my stabilizer. Have you guys experimented with that at all or have any thoughts on stability coming from dihedral? Yeah. Um, from from what I've experienced, the, the, the any of the wings that we've got with the dihedral, they are a little bit more, they're, they're, they're the nearest I've felt to surfing. You know, mm-hmm. the, the 660, it feels like you can bottom turn, top turn, fully wave ride, as near as you can to a surfboard type feel. It's amazing difference between the 680. Um, but it is a bit um, almost wobbly side to side because having the dihedral in there um, means that it, 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 it is quite willing to flop from side to side, you know, roll from side to side. So you can almost ride a slightly bigger wing than you normally would if you're using the 680. Like if you're using the 680, for example, you might want to use a smaller rear wing to loosen it up, but riding the um, 660, you might want to ride a slightly bigger wing to give it the stability again. And and it doesn't make it too stiff to ride, and it also gives you something to lean against and, and some support to drive from. Yeah, I, and I assume with those smaller fuselage combos, that's a pretty incredible yep. pairing. Yeah, it works like ultra short. Um, well, the, the, Lost, the Lost Boys Foil Club guys, there's 660, um, ultra short. 440 seems like a good combo yeah um all right there was a couple things that you wanted to touch on um like carbon versus aluminum mass do you want to dive into that for a little while yep so with our 2020 fuselage with um the the 2019 fuselage had a uh a a spigot built into it that stood up from the fuselage and went 70 60 mils up inside of the mast which provided the solid join between the fuselage and the mast we wanted to maintain that because that really gives you a solid join. But we also want to try and make a, mar- a fuselage that was compatible with, with different masks. So um, we made a, a socket in the back of the fuselage uh, and it's 29 millimeters deep and 15 millimeters, 15 millimeters wide, I think. And uh, it has, um, it, it has, we have a little doodad thing, a little aluminum doodad and it fits beautifully into the fuselage and it has the um, the spigot built into it, into that little doodad. So you can remove that doodad, and we have another one which has a uh, fits our sixteen, our new sixteen millimeter aluminium mask. So this year we've also created uh, a second aluminium mask. So we have the choice of the original nineteen mil aluminium mask, which is two hundred and twenty eight percent stiffer than the original fifteen mil mask. The way to get something stiffer is to make it thicker. You can increase your cord, and it doesn't really help that much with, with stiffness. Um, increasing the, the, the width of the mask from 15 to 16 or 18 or whatever makes a huge difference in the, in the stiffness. So um, we have a new aluminium mask that is 16 millimeters wide, but the same cord, and we have a doodad that fits that. So with the one or any length of fuselage that you choose, we can also fit either the 19 or the 16 mil aluminium mask. The advantage of the 16, it's 134% stiffer than the original that we started with. So it's still pretty stiff, 
um, and it's and it's, it's a bit lighter, um, and it's very well suited to kite or surf using more surf wind. If you're using one meter wingspan wings, I'd, in my opinion, you're actually better off on the 19 mil mark. Um, although it, it is technically usable and it's not going to break, it's just not as stable as the 19 mil mark. Yeah. So yeah. that that little doodad that fits in the fuselage, if you take that out, our carbon mask fits directly into there. And the carbon mask is just one piece uh, and has a face plate moulded onto it. We did a lot of um, um, FBA analysis of the mask when we were drawing it, and um, that's basically modelling it in solid works and then bending it and seeing where it wants to bend. And, and what you're trying to do, okay, with a 19 mil aluminium mask, it, it's an extrusion, an aluminium extrusion, which means it's squeezed out at that that profile. So it's 19 mils at the top, it's 19 mils at the bottom. So you kind of need the 19 mils. All of the bending happens at the join where it goes into the base plate into the board. And you kind of need that 19 mil to give you your, you know, your solid stiff mass there, but you don't necessarily need to be pushing that through the water at the fuselage end. You don't need all of that, but being an extrusion, you're kind of stuck with it. That's how it is. With a composite mast, you can build it whatever shape you want. So our carbon mast is, um, the bottom 300 mil is 14.75 mil thick, so it's lower drag. Uh, and the, the top section of it, it's still 20 mils thick, 100 mils down. And when we were designing it, we kept bending it and, and seeing where we need to stiffen it, where we could make it a bit thinner um, to sort of create a mask that, you know, it was a trying to get lower drag mask. Now, the first ones that we built, they were exactly the same weight as the um, the, the 19 mil aluminium, including a base plate. So there was no real weight saving. Um, we increased the core size, which obviously meant there was less carbon in the mast, and the mast became a little bit softer. Um, and we've sort of settled on 15% lighter than the 19 mil aluminium. And it, it's not as stiff as the as the 19 mil aluminium. A lot of people seem to think that carbon masts are stiffer, um, but it, it's kind of just not so. And you know they think they're lighter as well. The only reason they're lighter is if you put more foam or more wood core or something in them to make them lighter. If they're solid carbon all the way through, they won't be any lighter than, you know, a well-designed aluminium mask. Um, gotcha. Um, yeah. How much drag reduction do you get between a 19 and a 14 and a half um, mask at the base? Is that a pretty big a deal? Lot. Yeah. It's massive, yeah, for sure. But it, it's only in that, you know, that 300 mil that's stuck in the water. Right. Which is where you need yeah. it. Yep, yeah. Which is the beauty of a composite mask. So for anyone that's you know buying one of our packages now, like they can they can learn on whatever fuselage length they want to start on, whatever front wing they choose to to start on, and then as they evolve, they can just buy a new wing. They can buy a shorter fuselage. Um, if they're starting on a 19 mil aluminium mask, they can just take that out. If they really once they get to the point of no return and say I want carbon, and they can stick carbon in there. Carbon. It does feel different to um, the 19 mil aluminium mask or any aluminium mask. And I relate that back to the windsurfing days and early windsurfing. We all had aluminium masks. They were all aluminium. That's what they were. And then we changed to um, carbon or carbon glass mixed windsurf masks. And we didn't do that for weight, um, but it was mainly to do with the feel. And it's the reflex 
So the carbon fiber, when it flexes and comes back again, it's got a different feel to it. And it does seem to suit, uh, you know, the, the feel of, of surfing. Like when you're, when you're surf boiling, you've got a certain amount of twist and flex in your mast, and you've got to try and balance that out so it feels about right. You, you know, you, you need to be connected to that front wing, um, but if it's, if it's way too rigid, then you, you lose a little bit of feel. So there's a balance in that, and trying to get a mast that feels nice but is not too floppy and not too stiff is, is, is our goal, and I think we've done that with the carbon mast. It's a really nice-feeling mast to use. Um, I still, for myself, if I'm using my favorite wing at the moment, it's the 101, the new 101 wing. And I've used that on the carbon mast and I've used it on the 19 mil mast. And for me, I'm actually happiest with the feel of it on the 19 mil aluminium mast. Um, for at tight, 750? How, how long? Uh, at seven, 750 length, yeah. yeah. Um, for kite or tow foiling, um, I, if I'm using the 660, I way prefer the, um, the carbon mast. Yep. Although the 16 mil is actually really nice at that as well. The aluminium is obviously a heck of a lot cheaper than carbon. What's your price difference on the carbon versus aluminum? What's your carbon mass coming in at? <laughs> I'm no good on, on number questions because uh, we have European pricing, oh, we have yep. American Australia. I can't possibly remember all of that. Um, technical stuff, I can give you any answer straight away, <laughs> but I think I'll have to go and refer to a price list. It's, I know it's a lot more expensive for the carbon, like, you know, a lot more expensive yeah yeah what no. about as far as durability on both are you seeing uh, either carbon or aluminum and being a better long-term buy not really i mean there's a lot of um there is some anti towards um aluminium mass but if you like we supply tef gel with the foil when you buy it and if you tef gel the screws before you put them in the mask um I, I, when I teff gel, I just do a stripe down the side of one screw, and then I get the other screw that I'm using as a pair, and I, I roll the, the threads around each other, so the teff gel gets wrapped around the thread. I don't even bother putting it down the actual aluminium mask, because if you do that, when you wind the screw and it just pushes the teff gel ahead and doesn't do anything, it doesn't end up coating anything. So if I just coat the threads when I first get it, put it together, um, I am pretty bad. I don't, I've never really washed my foil. Um, when I finished using it and I just use it the next day or a couple of days later and, you know, a month or so later I can undo it and, and it's fine. Nothing seems to bind. If I was putting it to get, leaving it for the whole winter, I would not leave it assembled. Um, but it's actually pretty easy to, I don't have any binding issues at all. Part of that is using the Torx head screws. Um, we use Torx head for all of our screw heads. And it's a much, much stronger join than an, an Allen key. Like if you if you try and tighten an Allen key, you, you can just, with very little pressure, you can feel the head of the uh, the, the drive or or the, the screw just rounding itself off. Whereas Torx, you can lay into it until you bend the tool. It's a very, very strong tool. So you can, you know, you can, you've got more ability to tighten and, and loosen yeah. the screws. Um, I you... actually think that aluminium is a really good, really good um, material for the fuselage because it holds threads and it's you know easy to cut the right shape and everything. Like a, a carbon fuselage, uh, if you feel them, they're they're quite uh, quite hard to make them torsionally stiff. They are quite twisty, mm -hmm. and I don't necessarily think that's a good idea. Um, 
one thing that's really important is that, that you can't have carbon fiber touching aluminium because it basically creates a battery and it, it corrodes very quickly. So all of our wings, um, like the rear wings, the little pedestal that they stand on that bolts onto the fuselage, that's actually made of glass. And then it has paint as well, which provides a barrier between the carbon. And similarly, the socket in the front <coughs> that the fuselage goes into, um, that's solid glass. And the carbon is kept so that it doesn't run into that hole. Uh, and that means that it's, um, you know, it isolates it so it doesn't have carbon touching. Um, you, can't, you can't have that. That's we, had problems, we had problems, for example, with our, like, we're very careful with making sure there's nothing touching and we, we don't really get much in the way of um, corrosion. With our windsurf foils, we have an aluminium tuttle head with a flange that fits onto our 19mm mast. And we had some of those corroding terribly. And I was going, what the heck's going on? And they were putting them into windsurf boards and the windsurf boards had uh, a carbon fiber tuttle box in them. And the carbon fiber and the aluminium in the tuttle box just goes crazy. That's a really good thought. When you, yeah. when you look at the current landscape of foil designs right now, and you yeah. think of the evolution that's happened that you've been a part of, and where this all might land in 20 years, what are what do you see that no one's seeing right now? Are there places, are there holes in the understanding where you're thinking that there's potential? I, I couldn't tell you where we were going to go, uh, but I, I would say that, um, you know, there is a massive amount of experimenting to be done, and we're only just touching the surface. I think what we've created with Axis so far is a, a, a stable platform. You know, we have a, a good variety of different masks that you can put together and a good um, range of fuselage um, with really well thought out, well engineered designs that join one item to the next. And, you know, we can evolve wings from here however we want. And being a bolt together, clip together system, it's easy just to try and change one part and evolve it to wherever we go from here. We're, we're forever trying new foil sections, new wings, and I, I really think there is a lot to learn. And, you know, we've got it will change a lot in the next little while but where that's going to be I don't know you know we try a lot of things that just don't go anywhere um, but they're all really good learning too like we made some terrible mistakes recently on a, a wing we tried uh, and um, you know it was disappointing that the wing wasn't fantastic but you know in working out what why it didn't work we actually learned a whole lot more as well so, can you talk about the idea behind that wing and what you learned and how you tested it um, okay. Um, basically, what we what, what what we had is we we had the six sixty wing. Now that six sixty wing, it's it's a new foil section. It's a similar sort of area and shape, if you like, to the six eighty. Um, and we we built that extra V into it. <clears throat> and I did that progressively, trying wing after wing after wing to get the angle in the middle that we liked, and that worked really really well. And I love that wing, fantastic wing. Um, we also built um, the 101 wing, and the 101 wing is that same same uh, foil section. And the 101 is basically designed to be the target for that was to be a wing for people to start to downwind on. So a lot faster than the 102, um, with really good lift and and really good glide and hold you up at very low speeds. Uh, and it's a relatively flat wing. 
and we imagined that a flatter wing that would not, you know, after riding the dihedral and, and feeling how that surfed, we imagined that the 101 wouldn't be a nice wing for surfing. Um, we did quite a bit of testing, stepping back again, with the 900, and we built some, uh, we, we redesigned the wing with, with straighter wingtip, so we, we basically unrolled the wingtip, so we had the not standard 900, and then we built one that was a little bit flatter, and then one that was virtually just a, a flat sort of an arc. And we tried those three wings back to back uh, with prone guys surfing, and um, they sort of went, oh yeah, maybe a tiny bit better pumping, but they all loved the feel and the surfing of the 900 stock out of the box. So, you know, we, we imagined that having turndown was really important for surfing, so we thought the 101, um, wouldn't really be very good for surfing. And I actually had one for a couple of three weeks and didn't even use it that much for SUP because I didn't think it was going to be that good for surfing. But Evan had one and was raving about how good it was SUP foiling. So I rode it and sure enough, it, it surfs unreal. And it's really flat, which was kind of confusing, especially after coming from the 660 and imagining that that dihedral was going to help a lot. I, I built some 900s uh, with some dihedral in them as well and they didn't work that well so getting a balance uh, for each wing is quite important so I guess the wing that I went way wrong with was, was the um, 880 which is kind of a scaled up stretched out version of the 660 and what we did is we, we copied the angle of dihedral in it uh, mm -hmm. which meant it had, had to go up a lot more because it's a bigger span and then we came back down to the same point so it ended up being, I think, 25 mil more up and down. So it was a very, you know, M-shaped uh, wing. And um, it had moments of brilliance, but it, overall it was kind of unpredictable and difficult to use. And we ended up cutting it and, and making it flatter, and it was just remarkable, the difference. So um, the, the new ones we've got coming through, like we've got a, um, some bigger versions of the 660, and they progressively get fatter as they get bigger. So they're moving, I guess, back towards you know the, the, the flatness of the 101, which gives you your pumpability. Um, so they're they're more of a, a true, you know, in between the 660 and the 101. If you look at them all, they look logical and they fit in there nicely. We're actually getting way more high aspect too, like the new, uh, the newer versions, the bigger versions of the 660, the cord actually reduces quite a bit. And as well as getting wider span and a smaller cord, that means that they're quite high aspect. Gotcha. And how will that affect surfing versus, um, it should be faster, I would assume, and probably pump a little yeah. bit better, but do you think you'll lose something in the surfing? No, I mean, you are, well, you're, okay, if the wing's wider, it's not, not gonna be as quick rail to rail as the 660, but you know, you are gonna get the bonus of more glide and you know, being able to pump a lot better. The 660 is frightening how good it pumps for such a small wing. And I think that relates back to that foil section that it's on. Yeah, I can see that. Um, could we talk about wing tips a little bit and the drag reduction and what that trade-off is? H how do you decide if you're going to put wing tips on, say, your tail wings or have you experimented on, on front wings like the Takuma at all? And what's the trade-off between re that reduction and drag? Um, well, with the 
Okay, wing tips start with the back wings. The, the, the winglets, where they turn up on our standard wings, the 500 through the 370, they're, they're basically a flat wing. Having a flattish wing seems to give you predictability uh, and really good pumping. You know, If your wing is too curved, uh, it doesn't, in my opinion, it doesn't feel quite as predictable for that. The winglets, where they turn up, uh, they provide your, your, your stability, you know, sliding side to side. Um, and I think they're a pretty good balance as they are. Um, the, you know, the downturn wing that we've got, the new 390, that doesn't have winglets. It's, we've tried to keep it sort of an arc in the middle and then a bit of a, a, a turn down and then it runs sort of straighter. So that doesn't have, uh, winglets on it as such. Um, the front wing, I have actually cut uh, some of the, um, some wings and put winglets on the tip and played around with that, but I haven't found any major gains in, in that action or anything on that yet. Um, obviously still a work in progress, like everything, but I, I haven't found anything fantastic on that yet. Do, do you use any um, computer modeling, fluid dynamic modeling for testing Not, foil sections we, we, or anything like that? We we have well we use um, it's not really uh, fluid dynamics testing we we um, you, any of the foil sections that we the, there's millions of foil sections you can look up on Xfoil thousands upon thousands of them and there's you know extensive graphs on on those and what the pitching moments and how they lift and you know through their range of low from when they first foil to when they top out. How that all works so you can there's a lot of data out there for that plus if you design your own foil section from there you know you can actually analyze that as well so we use a lot of that um as far as like you know these figures i've come up with as far as the stiffness of the mask you know we built these masks and that 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 figure was from um generated by solidworks to tell you the the relative stiffness of that mask compared to whatever um we had a, a young uni student guy here that wanted to do some some practical work so i gave him a bunch of masks and he built some um, bending jigs and and did some really detailed analysis of the bend and the numbers came out almost identical to what we calculated which was quite reassuring to know that um, it did actually work for that that's excellent um so we are pushing up right on an hour right now um yeah. what what last thoughts touches do you want to dive into before we wrap up and thank you again for your time. This has been awesome. No worries. Um, I'm trying to think what we've drastically missed out on. Look at my notes real quick. Um, can't let me, can't let me, think of anything drastic. Let, I would. Let me yeah. ask you this: um, with the kite background, what are you seeing that is directly? applicable in surf and and what from kiting are you kind of leaving in kiting and foil design is it all applicable or are there certain there's certain aspects of of kite foil design that don't apply in the surf world well there's a there's a good question that brings up and that is that if i step way back to my windsurfing days um uh i spend a lot of time on getting things balanced and i think foiling is all about balance and i think um that what I was particularly good at and that with my designing speed sailing setups and everything was balanced, I would swap with other people and they'd have a go at my gear and they'd kind of go, wow, this, this ride's amazing. I can let go of the boom. 
I'd be lying in the water because I couldn't even ride their stuff. It would just throw me in the water automatically. Um, you know, you can kind of fight that with brute force, but I think things should be balanced and run by themselves. So I always, in, in my windsurf days, I always tried to make things balanced so they run and flow nicely by themselves. Now, um, for uh, designing the foils, I almost every single wing, I still take it out with a kite and play around on it. And I can feel an awful lot with that. It's not necessarily the ideal wing for kiting, but I can ride it around on that and relate back to it and how it works. So for, for a feedback loop, if you like, you know, we design the wings, we build some prototype wings. Um, I test them with kite. I test them with SUP if they're applicable for that. Test them tow foil. Um, and then we, you know, if we feel that they're a step forward and in a good direction, we give them to uh, team riders to get other people's feedback, and then we, we go wider and wider with our feedback. But I really uh, value the feedback I get from team riders, but I think it's absolutely critical that I can understand it and feel it myself as well. So, um, you know, it's, it's a, a combination design process to actually work out what's going forward and what's not. It's awesome. It's awesome to be a designer who is using the gear and can feel the gear. I think the best, my favorite um, gear has been designed by people that feel it. Yeah. You know, it's it, it all about balance and, and you've got to be able to, you know, it's got to be balanced. If it's balanced and works nicely, then you can just get into writing it and finding out what you can do with that foil. Mm-hmm. You don't have to try and correct whatever. You can just go and play on it. Yep. Well, Adrian, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. How can people follow, find you? I know accessfoils.com is the website. What what else can, can folks do to find there's, out more about it? On Facebook, there's a bit, and also on Instagram, there's, there's quite a bit. We have a lot of really, really cool team riders around the world, and it's just amazing to see what they come up with Um and what they're doing with the foils, you know, it's just amazing to watch what they what they do. So that's all posted on our Axis Foils Instagram and Axis Foils Facebook page. A lot of info to see on there, a lot of videos, a lot of info on there. Awesome. Uh, last words? Thank you very much. <laughs> Here's to the future. <laughs> <laughs>